Hi, good morning and welcome to Beacon Church's Sunday morning video message. So glad you could be with us. If this is your first time, you're more than welcome. We're delighted you found us on the internet and uh, we pray you will be richly blessed. As a result, in just a few moments, David Horrell will be speaking to us uh, from Luke chapter 3. We're working our way through Luke's gospel at the moment. He'll be looking at Luke chapter 3 in a mo. But um, first, I uh, just want to do a quick little reminder about Relational Missions podcast at the moment. Um, we mentioned it in a uh, member's email just a little while ago, but um, it's now on episode four, episode five at the moment, and it's well worth a listen. If I can encourage you to give it a go if you haven't already. Relational Mission is the wider family of churches that we're a part of, and Mike Betts leads Relational Mission. And he and two guys from Cornerstone Church in Medway, Adam Voke and a guy called Isaac, uh, the three of them have some fantastic discussions and now and again there's one or two guests who come to join them as well. And at the moment they're going through the basic values of uh, who we are as relational mission, about the value of family and raising sons and daughters, discipleship and what that looks like. Um, if you haven't already, go and have a listen if you can. It's available on all the usual podcast um, platforms just under relational mission. Um, or you can go to relationalmission.org slash podcast and you can find opportunity to listen to it there as well. There's plenty more episodes to come. It's really um, resourceful, encouraging, stirring, um, inspiring really. Uh, they ask difficult questions of themselves. They are open to uh, knowing that we're all human and we haven't got all the answers right. We haven't got things right yet. We don't have all the answers. We're still exploring. We've got L plates on. And it's just a real humble, family feel way of let's work this out together. It's, it's very, very helpful and very encouraging as well as informative. So please do go and have a listen to it. Maybe on your commute, in your car, if you're having, still having to travel to work, uh, maybe at home where you're doing the washing up, whatever works for you. Make the most of it. It's brilliant and there's more to come. Uh, I'm just going to pray for us before David shares from Luke's Gospel. Um, I, Some of you might know this. I've been mentioning it a few times. I've been working through uh, the book of Micah recently. And uh, there's just a lovely little verse at the end that will help us pray before we come to God's word um, in a moment. In Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Interesting, Micah's actual name means who is like Yahweh. And he uses virtually that phrase right here in verse 18. He says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression and sin for the remnant of his inheritance? Who is a God like you? And then he continues, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. This God who, who cannot ignore sin, but because of his steadfast love for us, has dealt with sin through Jesus on the cross in dying and rising again for us. That sacrifice has been made and through Jesus we can be made pure and whole and welcomed into God's family. That's what that's what we live for. That's what we stand for as Christians. That's what this is all about. And this is the God we come to to learn more about and get to know more as well, which is what we're going to do in just a moment. So let me pray with that wonderful truth in mind. Hey, let's go for it. Lord, Father, we thank you so much that you are God who, who, um, who pardons sin. He doesn't ignore it, but has dealt with it by taking it upon yourself. You, Jesus, God himself, came and took our sin upon your shoulders. You're amazing, and we love you so much. We, we, we can't love you enough uh, for what you've done, for what you're doing, for what you will do. More importantly, for who you are. You're amazing, and we love you. Lord, in these 
this next 20 odd minutes, Lord, we ask that you will continue to speak to us, to stir us, uh, to enrich us, to help us grow, to help us see more of you and help us to live more for you in these uncertain times that David will be referring to. Uh, Lord, may you truly be our hope in our behaviour as well as our mouths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over to David. Well, hello again and, and welcome to the second series in the Luke's Gospel series. Um, you remember in Hebrews we were, we were looking at Jesus is all. Well, we see very much the same thing in Luke, that Jesus is all. And that will become apparent as we, as we go through the book. But this morning uh, we're going to read from Luke 3. We're going to read the first 23 verses, not all of them. Um, so if you've got your Bibles or phone or whatever, you can read along. So here goes. Luke 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and of Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priest of Annas and Cleopas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food to do likewise. The tax collectors also came to be baptised and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorised to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, and the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. 
But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptised, and when Jesus also had been baptised and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as it was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. So there we have this uh, remarkable account of John, of John coming. And um, I thought as I was reading uh, this, the, this, this passage earlier, that we could look at it this morning to give us certainty and hope and assurance. You know there are many stories that have been written to expand the imagination of children and entice older readers into an unreal world and they begin once upon a time and end and they all lived happily ever after. That's a totally unreal situation I think. Imagination and false hopes will not help one one of the greatest elements of life that we need, and that is certainty. And I think particularly at this time, in this COVID situation, um, when many people are uncertain, we need to be certain, we need to know what's going on. You know, when Luke set his heart to write this journal, he had a mission in mind, and it was to one Roman official. He wanted to be as accurate as he could be with factual records, prophecy, personal testimonies, and how these events fitted into the flow of world history. The real reason for him doing this, we can find in chapter 1, verse 4, and he was writing to this Roman official, Theophilus, and this is what he said, that you may have certainty, certainty, concerning the things you have been taught. Then in Acts 1, later, Luke then summarises how he sought to establish that certainty when he wrote, In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. There you are, you have it, as in Hebrews, Jesus is all. In preaching from Luke, we're going to find the bedrock of certainty in uncertain times, and that is Jesus. As in Hebrews, Jesus is all, so in Luke. It is truth, not imagination and false hopes that are going to birth assurance and hope within us. Let's look at some of the things which are going to help us to become more stable in our faith, as we say. The first thing is we find the flow of history and how, how Luke writes into this. He sets the scene with 22 historical details, 18 of which are political and governmental, and they're markers, and there's four markers from the religious world in the context of the two most powerful forces controlling the lives of precious people. The greatest and most needed powerful force just happened. You will have read it. The word of God came to John. That's the most powerful force that we can rely upon in our world today is receiving 
and reading and understanding the word of God. And it came to John. Well, it was to probably the weirdest individual alive at that time. Camels here eating honey and locusts and all that sort of thing. And But the weirdest was going to point to the greatest. Isn't that amazing? God uses all sorts of people. And that's what we're called to do. Ordinary people lifting up the hand of opportunities that point to Jesus. This chapter then finishes, although we didn't read it, with one of the most intriguing genealogies tracing specific human history right back to Adam through his third son, Seth. It is how Jesus enters human history and how nothing has been the same since. Being one of the most uncertain times in history, and here particularly for the Jewish community, living under the rule of the Roman Empire, along with the rule of perverse religious leaders, the coming of John, along with his preaching, was ushering in a new day with fresh hopes and renewal of right relationship with God. It was one of the most certain times, though, in God fulfilling earlier prophetic details about this man, John, and Jesus, of course. It is here where two worlds collide. Two powerful narratives are being written. Those of the powerful and largely corrupt Roman Empire and religious system against that of the kingdom of God emerging in real time. When the prophetic word is realized, hope is established. Prophetic words from God had not been heard for around 460 years, but God was about to speak. He was about to break open his box of treasures. Zacharias, John's father, summed it up beautifully as he prophesied about his son, John. And we're gonna read that. We're gonna read that in, in, in earlier on in Luke, in chapter one. Zachariah's prophecy, and his father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. What an amazing prophecy to prophesy over your son. Back in Hebrews, 
we looked at how God spoke in times past in many ways and by prophets, but in these last days has now spoken to us by his Son. So for the last 2,020 years or so, <clears throat> God has been so audible, so audible as the message of Jesus has spread. And it's privileged to live in a time like we live, when quite easily we can know the truth and the gospel of God. Jesus is a Jesus of authentic and undeniable history. Okay, the second thing we're going to look at is the Jews. Well, last sermon I had a hat on because we were talking about the Jewish system and how God was wrestling with them to get them away from their background and the things which they relied upon to look and to focus on Jesus and find their hope in him. So for a moment, I just want to look at the Jews. And there's a reason for that. King Louis XIV of France was asked, what is the best evidence for God? To which he replied, sire, the Jews. Frederick the Great asked one of his marshals, who was a devout believer, give me in one word a proof of the truth of the Bible. And he said, the Jews. There it is again. In a current climate of world uncertainty, the political question is being asked, what on earth do we do with the Jews? Well, there are those who want to annihilate them. There's want to those who sideline them. There are those who don't want to have any interest in them whatsoever. But I believe that we as the church should, and I think we should listen. In our text today, this is where the objectives of the law and the prophets start to reach their conclusion. Jesus said in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached. John's ministry was primarily to the Jews. And in John 1.31, John said, I myself did not know him, that's Jesus, but for this purpose I came baptising with water that he might be revealed to Israel. We remember that God started off with calling the most unlikely character Abraham to be the forerunner and person with whom he would enter into a covenant relationship and bless the whole world. From Abraham, God would choose a people and elect a nation which would become both a success and a failure. However, God was able to demonstrate that his part of the covenant was overflowing with attributes that will deal with humanity, the good, the bad and the ugly. God was good. He is good. He's long suffering, full of love, mercy and grace. And at their extremity, there was still opportunity, which is in our text today, and is like a hinge on which history turns. You know, that distant cry of God through his servant Moses to Egypt's Pharaoh, he said, let my people go that they may freely worship me. 
and it can still be heard echoing around Jerusalem today and our world. I think we also hear it ringing in the churches often, let my people go that they may worship me. In Romans 3 verse 11, the writer to the church in Rome asks the question, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And the writer answered the question, he said, no, it won't nullify the faithfulness of God. He remains faithful. So the point here this morning is not to deny interest in Israel and the Jewish people. With all that's happening in the Middle East, if you want to test the validity of the scriptures, look at ancient and recent history of Jewish people and Israel, and also watch carefully any current news about them. You know, my dad used to uh, come home from work every day, as a child I remember this, and he used to go in his bedroom and he used to get down on his knees and pray. Amongst praying for family and church, he always included praying for the Jews and for Israel. And in particular, he prayed for two acquaintances he had. And because he prayed out loud, I can still remember their names today. He used to pray like this, Lord, bless dear Bob Finn and dear brother Angel. They were both Jewish people, but they loved Jesus. And he used to pray for them. So understanding the Jews, their history and presence in our world contribute to the certainty of the gospel because God worked and moved through those people and he still is. And because of them, Jesus has come and we have the opportunity to turn to God. The third thing I want to look at that is really important to make certain our faith and to find certainty in life is prophecy. Jesus said about John, there's no greater prophet that has arisen other than John. And Luke says in Acts 10, 43, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There are many detailed prophecies about Jesus, each of them adding specific and comparative elements of truth about his life, death and resurrection. Then about the future from where we are and the consummation of all things. There are warnings, encouragements, promises, wisdom. So as history unfolds, we are witnesses to the prophetic being both a supernatural thing and a sure foundation for trusting in God. In 2 Peter 1 verse 19, this is what we read. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In our text today, there is prophecy. There is good prophecy, and there is what we might say, bad prophecy. There's life and death, 
salvation and separation like that. To have Jesus as our saviour is to have certainty. To the Christians at Corinth, Paul the Apostle said, if in this life only we have hope in God, we are of all men most miserable. The last two things is the value of repentance and baptism. These are two very important things to actually forge our surrender to Jesus and when asking him to be our saviour. Repentance and baptism. There is an emphasis in our text today of how fundamental the act of repentance was for the Jews and also for all who would want to demonstrate genuineness in believing. A trusted and well-known Bible teacher said, in all his years of ministry, at least 50% of professing Christians who were struggling in some way with their faith was due to not having truly repented. The certainty wasn't there. Lack of confidence. They were sort of bored with prayer and reading the Bible. Being part of church and smaller groups was a difficult experience. The strength of our faith comes as a result of repentance and genuine faith. And that faith is marked, first of all, through obedience in baptism. It's not the believing part, really. Faith really sets in when we're baptised. That's why it's important. That's our demonstration that we believe. The following scenarios can help identify maybe lack of true repentance when we came to Jesus. The first one is pressure. You know there is a call on your life from God and you feel you have been pressurised in some way by a counsellor or by a parent but didn't feel quite ready but you did it to please them. Then there's crowd pressure. Coming to Jesus when others have gone to Jesus and you don't want to feel left out. You feel pressurised by your friends going forward to receive Jesus. But in a sense, there wasn't that deep genuineness there. The second thing is emotions. Maybe you had been in a large meeting with music playing and your emotions were high and it was easy to go with the flow and say a simple prayer at the front to accept Jesus. Then there's fear. Many old time preachers with all the so-called fear of Almighty God upon them preached a message of fear so that people ran to God for him to have mercy on them. I don't think that necessarily is the right way is to drive people by fear to accept Jesus Christ as Saviour. Then there are situations where children or even older people are afraid of being left out when Jesus comes again. They want to be part of the family when they go, but they can't really get to the point where they want to receive Jesus from themselves. They just want to come in because of fear of being left out. The last thing is a form, form and complacency. Then there are those who know about Jesus 
and genuinely believe in him, but they were christened and maybe confirmed or some other form in the church rite, and have sort of drifted into the Christian world, even finding aspects of church community really helpful. You go through all the stuff, praying, listening to sermons, have your little daily Bible reading, but somehow there is a nagging uncertainty about when you have to stand before God. This is usually identified by phrases something like this, well, I hope I've done enough, or I don't know, or I'm not sure, or I haven't hurt anybody, or God wouldn't do that, or I did it my way. When John called the Jews to be baptised in our text today, it was the single most humiliating act for them. In itself, an act of repentance. They had to change their mind and turn away from all predisposed thinking and assumptions. The Jews only baptised Gentiles in water because they considered them dirty and needed a ritual washing. And so they weren't easily persuaded that they needed to do that. But John was preaching a baptism of repentance. And so he came baptising them in water. Repentance also means a change of lifestyle and indiscriminate behaviour towards others. It also meant sharing what you have with others, not to abuse your position and power and other similar things like that. We read them today in the text. So as Luke was prompted to write to Theophilus that he might know the certainty of things believed, how do you fare this morning? How do you fare in this pandemic? Has uncertainty crept in and you're not sure? Do you need to go back and really lay your life before God and repent and come to that point of turning? You know there are no in-between places, so make sure you're in the right place. There is confidence, assurance, and it is only found in Jesus. That's our opportunity today, to turn to him and say, please Lord help me, I come to you and give my life to you and surrender. The things that I don't need, I want to turn away from, in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and help us as we continue to look into this series. Thank you. Jesus is our bedrock of certainty in these uncertain times. Um, he is the one we all need to be turning to. If, as David was saying earlier, if, if, if you're someone who has not yet fully turned to Jesus, can I implore you, don't leave it a minute longer. He's available. He's a living God who is good, who loves you, who died for you. Turn to him now. We're, uh, we're going to sing a couple of songs if we're, if we're in Zoom. We're going to be praying together. Uh, and if you're on the Vimeo um, individual videos page underneath in the description, there's a couple of songs there to sing. While we're singing these songs, let's, uh, let's recognise that there are no in-between places. We either belong to him or we don't. There's no, there's no one foot on either side of that fence. You're either his or you're not. Um, as we sing these songs, turn them into prayers. Uh, let's understand where is my hope? Where do I place that? Where do I, who do I cling to? 
let's be sure we're clinging to Jesus in all things as we pray, as we sing and as we go about our daily lives over this week and in the ensuing months. Be blessed. Have a great week. Look to him.